everybody has a dream. We all desire truth, justice, peace, love, and joy. And yet life rarely plays fair, nice or clean with our hopes and dreams. In the Old Testament, a man named Joseph discovered that palace dreams also mean pits and prisons, trouble and tragedy, regrets and repentance. Welcome to his story. Now the famine was still severe in the land, so when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said to him, The man warned us solemnly, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. Israel asked, Why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man that you had another brother? And they replied, The man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked us. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How are we to know he would say, Bring your brother down here? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy along with me, and we will go at once, so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Genesis 43, 1-10 Few things are more frustrating and faithful than family matters. The dysfunction we inherit is often deep, disturbing, and debilitating. Meanwhile, the pleasant memories we manufacture serve to mask whatever pain our families produce. Yes, the family ties bind, but they can also blind. Like July 4th fireworks, our family systems are beautifully explosive, one moment thrilling and the next choking with dysfunctional smoke. Of course, few family dynamics match Joseph's. It was a powder keg of spite, bitterness, rage, and pettiness. And in order to understand, you have to have some history. The family Israel beats any daytime soap opera. Genesis 29-35 tells us all about it. It's a desperate household about all Jacob's children. The story opens when Jacob falls madly in love with Rachel, the stunning daughter of his uncle Laban. He proposes marriage, and Laban counters with a work-for-sire contract. Seven years later, Jacob finally gets his girl, only to be hijacked by a classic bait-and-switch. Laban secretly swaps older sister Leah for Jacob's love. As the honeymoon hangover wears off and Jacob realizes the deception, he's ticked to say the least. He had worked for the lovely Rachel, not the homely Leah. It does make you wonder how Jake could marry and even make love to a woman without recognizing her true identity. Maybe true love really is blind. Laban plays political genius and permits Jacob to also marry Rachel under one provision. He works another seven years. It's a solid solution for everyone but Leah. Jacob's a one-woman man, and he has no affection for older sister, leaving her only lonely. But Jacob has a bigger problem. Leah's fertile and Rachel's not. So Leah avenges Jacob's lack of love by naming her kids Misery, Reuben. Someone else hears Simeon. Maybe my husband will bond now, Levi, and I'll just praise God anyway, Judah. Leah definitely has tact. Of course, Rachel's inability to produce kids causes an explosion of jealousy and anger. Give me children or I'll die, she tells an exasperated Jacob, and then provides her maid as a proxy, 
who quickly gets pregnant. Rachel names her surrogate kids Revenge, Dan, and I Beat My Sister, Naphtali. Not to be outdone, Leah then supplies her personal servant to Jacob and names their offspring Good Fortune, Gad, and I'm Happy, Asher. Are you still following this family folly? Leah then gets pregnant again and calls the boys Reward, Issachar, and Honored, Zebulun. Add a daughter, Dinah, and the line score looks like a baseball game. Leah 9, Rachel 2. Of course, Rachel's runs are pinch-hit homers. In truth, the lovely and loved Rachel is a shutout. Thankfully, in the bottom of the ninth, she manages two kids of her own. Joseph, God has taken away my disgrace, and later, dying in childbirth, Ben Onai, son of my trouble. You can only imagine how the dinner table was a nightly nightmare. It was the Brady Bunch meets the Osbournes, or eight is enough moves in with desperate housewives. <laughs> you can't make this type of drama up. The Israel family was just getting started, though. They built their business on fraud and deception against Daddy Laban. Rachel then stole his household gods when they hightailed it out of town to escape father's justice. Jacob and his own brother Esau aren't exactly on speaking terms. Dinah and Dan murder a mess of Shechemites after she's raped. The family Israel was a mess. Two wives, 13 kids, four by proxy. Rachel was loved, Leah was blessed, and then there's Jacob. He's got four women, two at each, two at each other's throats. He can't mention a kid's name without getting a history lesson. The woman he loves is bitter. It's no wonder he emotionally escapes and pours all his affection and attention on her two legitimate boys, alone. He protects them, showers them with gifts and fancy coats, renames Benoni to Benjamin, son of my right hand, and makes the other boys work. It's a recipe for trouble. And that's what we've learned throughout Joseph's journey. It also explains why Jacob is dead set against Benjamin going to Egypt. He assumes Joseph is dead. He's not going to let Ben out of his sight. Ever. He doesn't trust his other boys. He's seen too much deception. Shoot, his whole life has been one big trick. You can't play poker without losing a hand, and Jacob isn't about to call someone's bluff. The stakes are too high. But so are the hunger pains cupboard is bare again. The famine remains fierce. Jacob faces a difficult decision. It's in crisis that our family ties blind and bind. We can only close our eyes so long to the truth. Most of us are dealt a Leah, ordinary life, but long for Rachel, lovely reality. When our choices create consequences that become our family history, good and bad, we mark the memories with names like misery or trouble. Our lives literally become tombstones and testaments, mile markers and monuments. In the desperate times, we discover who we really are. Like a July 4th firework, our families incinerate and implode, enthrall and explode. But these shells aren't formed in vacuums. What others see is only the sparks and smoke of what we hide within our family casings. No family is perfect, but the secret to healing lies is getting out of the shell. Joseph's family dynamic only birthed more dysfunction. Unknown to him, his Egyptian pit and prison experience would free him from a deeper emotional incarceration. So it is with us. The crises that cause our lives to cave also hold the key to escape. Our progeny proclaims our choice, loud and clear. Isn't God's word and Joseph's story inspiring? This is Dr. Rick Cromie. Thanks for listening. May all your dreams come true. 
enjoyed this broadcast, I hope you'll become a part of the Mana family and sign up today to receive our inspirational resources and mailings. At Mana Educational Services International, we work hard to inspire, insight, and ignite your church, school, or organization's teachers, leaders, and parents. You can sign up today and learn more about us and what we do at www.manasolutions.org.